Hello, it's Tuesday, the 30th of January, and welcome to Korea 24. I'm your host, Kwon Jang Woo. President Yoon Sung Yeol has vetoed a special bill to establish an independent investigation into the 2022 Itaewon crowd crush disaster. We'll have more details in news briefing shortly. For our revamped news and people section, we speak to John Park, who became the first Asian American to be elected as a city mayor in the US state of Georgia last month. And today we have a new segment coming up, Hallyu Highlights, where we round up some of the major Korean entertainment stories of the week. We have all that and more on today's Korea 24. Coming three weeks after it was passed by the opposition-dominated National Assembly, President Yoon Sang-yeol vetoed a special bill aimed at establishing an independent investigation into the Itaewon crowd crush. The government instead pledged to set up a special committee on state support for victims and their families. For more on this story and our other headlines of the day, I'm joined in the studio by KBS World Radio News Editor Daniel Chair. Daniel, hello. Hello there, Jango. The bill was, of course, related to the tragic incident in October 2022 when 159 people died in a deadly crowd crush in Itaewon. Nearly 200 more were injured. We'd been waiting to see if President Yun would indeed veto the special bill. He has now made that decision. What more can you tell us? Well, the special bill was passed on January 9th, and on Tuesday, the cabinet approved a motion requesting the National Assembly to reconsider the contentious bill, a prelude to Yun's ninth veto since taking office in 2022. During the cabinet meeting, Prime Minister Han Dok-su emphasized the unconstitutionality of the special bill in terms of the special pro panel's authority to seek a search and seizure warrant. Concerns were also raised that the composition of the panel will comp- compromise fairness and neutrality based on selection as stipulated under the bill. The government instead pledged to establish a victim's support committee to devise support measures such as expanded medical fee payouts and compensation. The government also vowed to consult with the families to create a memorial venue and prepare steps to revitalize the Itaewon neighborhood. The ruling PPP proposed a renegotiation of the bill, saying it's willing to agree to the passage if contentious clauses are removed. The main opposition DP criticized the president's veto, arguing that no compensation can be rendered without revealing the truth behind the tragedy. And not just the DP, the bereaved families of the Itaewon crowd crush victims also raised their voices in anger over the veto. How have they expressed their opposition? An association of such families and civic groups criticized President Yoon government officials and ruling party lawmakers, saying they committed a crime that will be forever remembered in history. They made the comments during a news conference on Tuesday. Calling the veto irresponsible and foolish, they emphasized the president's right to veto a bill is not something that can be executed indefinitely. The head of the steering committee of the association, Lee Jung-min, said the government ruling camp and the president have turned a blind eye to the 159 victims and their families' calls made in the past year to get to the bottom of the crowd crush. They also vowed not to take part in a special committee on state support for victims and their families the government promised to set up, calling such moves insincere gestures. Let's turn to our other headlines now. The South Korean government has called on Japan's foreign minister to immediately recant claims that Tokdo Islets are Japanese territory. Can you tell us more? The government's statement released under the name of the foreign ministry spokesperson strongly protests the repeated territorial claims over the islets, which are South Korean territory historically, geographically, and under international law. The government reiterated that it will sternly deal with any provocation from Japan regarding 
took those stressing, Tokyo must realize making such claims is detrimental to building future-oriented bilateral ties. Japan's top diplomat Yoko Kamikawa made the flawed sovereignty claim Tuesday while delivering her policy speech before parliament. It's the 11th straight year a Japanese foreign minister made such moves during that annual session. Meanwhile, North Korea conducted another cruise missile test. This is the third launch in under a week. What more can you tell us? South Korea's Joint Chiefs of Staff said the launch of what's believed to be the recently unveiled Purasar-331 was detected at around 7 a.m. Tuesday. It was fired toward the Yellow Sea. Officials analyzed the missile's range to be around 2,000 kilometers. Seoul and Washington's intel authorities are analyzing the details of the weapons further. The JCS state surveillance of the North has increased in collaboration with the U.S. The series of tests are likely part of efforts to advance capabilities of the missiles to be launched from land as well as both above and below sea with nuclear warheads mounted. The firing is a second is only two days, the third in under a week. After North Korea announced last Thursday, it conducted the first test launch of the all-new Purasar-331 the previous day. On Monday, it claimed to have tested the missile the day before, this time launched from submarines. However, the, the JCS dismissed such possibility based on the requisite technical developments. Let's turn next to a story related to the record low birth rate in Korea. About 30% of the nation's daycare centres and kindergartens are expected to disappear in just in just four years. That's according to a new report. Can you tell us more? That's right. According to a report by the Korea Institute of Child Care and Education on Tuesday, the number of daycare centres across the nation plunged 21% from 39,000 in 2018 to 30,000. 900 in 2022. The number of kindergartens slipped 5.1% during the period, from some 9,000 to about 8,500. The report predicted a steeper dip ahead due to the declining birth rate. The combined number of these facilities expected to drop from over 39,000 in 2022 to 26,637 in 2028. Some 12,400 or 31.8% of those facilities are likely to closed down in just six years. The expected drop was larger in major cities. Busan a projected fall of 39.4%, followed by Seoul and Daegu with 37.3% each, and Incheon at 34 Let's head over to the U.S. next, where the U.S. Chamber of Commerce voiced opposition to South Korea's proposed regulations to curb the dominance of large online platform businesses. So what more did they say? Charles Freeman, a senior vice president for Asia at the U.S. Chamber, issued a statement on Monday expressing concerns about Saul's move to quickly pass platform legislation that reportedly targets select large platform businesses and ban unfair market activities. The law is expected to impose regulations on major platform players like Naver and Kakao locally, as well as American tech giants such as Apple, Google, Amazon, and even Meta. Korea's Fair Trade Commission is expected to release a proposal of the legislation next month. The U.S. Chamber said the full text of any proposed legislation should be made publicly available. Also called on Seoul to provide sufficient opportunity for dialogue with a range of stakeholders, including the U.S. business community. The chamber concluded after monitoring similar legislative discussions in multiple countries, these platforms' proposals are deeply flawed, as such regulations trample on competition that benefit consumers, ignore good regulatory practices fundamental to sound oversight models, and position governments to violate trade commitments by targeting foreign firms. 
Meanwhile, last year the country's whisky imports surpassed 30,000 tons, reaching an all-time high. Can you tell us more about this trend? Yes, Korea Customs Service data showed on Tuesday imports of whisky products, 30,586 tons of whisky products imports in 2023, up 13.1 percent on year. Imbalance shipments dropped from 20,000 tons in 2019 to around 16,000 tons in 2021, but bounced up to 27,000 tons in 2022 and surpassed 30,000 tons. Last year, key factors: rising popularity of whiskey-based cocktails enjoyed by young consumers these days. Uh, combined value of imported whiskies decreased 2.7 percent on year to 259.6 million dollars on increased shipments of cheaper labels. Uh, wine imports slipped a record 20.4 percent on year to 56,542 tons last year, decreasing for the second consecutive year. And finally, we have an update from the Winter Youth Olympics taking place in Gangwon Province. Uh, South Korean figure skater Shin Jia won silver in women's single free skating. So another medal in the bag for Korea then. Right, always a big shoot to fill when you're the uh, post Kimiana in, in the sport. <laughs> uh, Shin scored a total of 125.35 points in the single free skating event held at the Gangneung Ice Arena on Tuesday. Her combined score, including short program, totaled 191.83 points. Japan's Shimada Mao took gold with a total score of 196.99. Ashin is the second female figure skater to win a medal in single skating in the Winter Youth Olympics, which first began in 2012. The first medal was a gold captured by another Korean, Yu Young, in the previous Youth Olympics held in Lausanne in 2020. So those were the headlines. Daniel, thank you for bringing us these updates. Thank you so much for having me. Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index fell 1.89 points, or 0.07 percent, on Tuesday to close the day at 2,498.81. The tech-heavy Kosdaq also fell, sliding 0.28 points, or 0.03 percent, to close at 818.86. On the foreign exchange, the local currency strengthened 6.31 against the U.S. dollar. Closing the day at 1,329.41. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. It's time now for Global News Roundup, our daily segment where we talk about issues making headlines around the world. And joining us for that in the studio, it is our KBS World Radio news editor Koo Hee-jin. Hee-jin, hello. Hello, Jago. Yes, it's great to see you again. We start by picking up from a story from yesterday. We mm-hmm. touched upon the drone attack on the U.S. base in Jordan, which killed three U.S. soldiers. We have reports that President Joe Biden is contemplating on appropriate response measures. To the attack, but it poses a dilemma as the U.S. is wary of triggering a wider war with Iran. So, Hijin, what's the latest? Well, reports are divided on the level of U.S. retaliation to the uh, drone attack in Jordan that killed and wounded U.S. service members on Sunday. CNN reports that it is likely to be more powerful than previous retaliatory strikes in Iraq and Syria. Although the Pentagon and the White House are careful not to give. 
any signals on the matter. Uh, President Joe Biden is under increasing pressure to respond in a way that stops these attacks for good without sparking a regional war. Iran-backed militants have targeted U.S. facilities in Iraq and Syria over 160 times since October, and Republican uh, lawmakers have called for the U.S. to directly hit Iran and send a clear message. Well, Sunday's drone attack, which killed three and wounded more than 40, was indeed the deadliest attack on U.S. forces in the region since the uh, bombing at Abbey Gate in 2021, which killed 13 U.S. service members in the closing days of the Afghanistan withdrawal. Yes, indeed. The U.S. has in recent months carried out several strikes targeting Iranian proxies, uh, weapons, depots in Iraq and Syria. To date, none of these attacks have deterred the militants whose attacks have injured over 120 U.S. service members across the region since October. And Washington is trying to tread carefully on identifying the perpetrator or the origin of that drone. According to BBC, the U.S. blames Iranian-backed groups such as And the Pentagon has said it carried the footprints of Iranian uh, proxy group Kataib Hezbollah. Uh, CBS News reported that it was told by U.S. officials that the drone used in the attack appeared to be Iranian-made. And CNN speculated that striking Iran is one of the least likely options at this point. Biden officials said repeatedly on Monday that the U.S. does not want to go to war with Iran, which would be the likely outcome of a U.S. strike within Iran's borders. While the U.S. may ultimately hold Iran responsible for the attacks, given Tehran's uh, financial and military support for these uh, proxy groups, there are no indications yet that Iran explicitly directed the deadly attack on Sunday or intended it as a deliberate escalation against the U.S. Yes, and we will keep monitoring the developments in the Middle East in the coming days. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, let's turn now to business mogul Elon Musk and his announcement of one of the latest advances in biotech. His company Neuralink has successfully implanted one of its wireless brain chips in a human for the first time. So what can you tell us? Well, BBC cited Musk saying that initial results detected promising neuron spikes or nerve impulses that the patient is recovering well. The company's goal is to connect human brains to computers and it says that it wants to help tackle complex neurological uh, uh, conditions. Musk's company was given permission to test the chip on humans by the FDA in May, a critical milestone after earlier struggles to gain approval. This gave the green light for the start of a six-year study uh, during which a robot uh, is being used to surgically place 64 flexible threads thinner than a human hair onto a part of the brain that controls movement and tension, according to Neuralink. Yes, it sounds uh, something out of an Isaac Asimov sci-fi novel, (laughs) but uh, we should note that a number of rival companies have already implanted similar devices, so it's not completely unprecedented. Mm -hmm. In any case, what is this chip capable of? Well, posting on X, the uh, social media platform he owns, uh, of course, it's formerly known as Twitter, Uh, Musk uh, said Neuralink's first product would be called 
telepathy. Now, telepathy, he said, would enable control of your phone or computer and through them almost any device just by thinking. He said initial users will be the, those who have lost the use of their limbs. Now, referring to the late Stephen Hawking, the British scientist who had motor neuron disease, he added, imagine if Stephen Hawking could communicate faster than a speed typist or an auctioneer. Now, that is the goal. That is what he said. Now, there have been advances made in the field by rival companies uh, in two separate recent U.S. scientific studies. Implants were used to monitor brain activity when a person tried to speak, which could then be decoded to help them communicate. Yes, it'll be interesting to see what this technology can uh, do for us. Uh, In the meantime, let's move on to our next topic. And we are sticking with... uh, Related to something related to Elon Musk, his social media platform X has blocked some searches for Taylor Swift. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's as pornographic deepfake images of the singer have circulated online. Can you elaborate on this? Well, Associated Press reports that attempts to search for her name without quotation marks on the site Monday resulted in an error message and a prompt for users to retry their search, which added, don't fret, it's not your fault. However, putting quotation marks around her name allowed posts to appear that mention her name. So there are differing reports uh, all over the place uh, on whether X has been successful in blocking these searches. Mm. Sexually explicit and abusive fake images of Swift began circulating widely last week on X, uh, making her the most famous victim of deep fake that tech flat platforms and anti-abuse groups have struggled to fix. Now, the images were seen by millions before being removed by major platforms such as X and Meta. Uh, Meta sorry. However, the damage has been done. The images flooded onto other sites such as Reddit and Quora. And this has renewed calls to strengthen legislation around AI, particularly when it is uh, misused for sexual harassment. Yes, there had been moves by the platforms themselves to self-regulate such content. But nonetheless, the measures usually involve cleaning up after such an event occurs. Unfortunately so. Um, uh, X and Meta were the first, the, uh, first uh, clearly the first to respond, noting their zero-tolerance policy on posting non-consensual nude images. Uh, OpenAI said it has uh, safeguards in place to limit the generation of harmful content on its platforms, like ChatGPT, while Microsoft, which offers an image generator uh, based partly on the website DALI, has said that it it was in the process of investigating whether its tool was misused. Meanwhile, Swift herself has not issued a a statement about these images. The pop star was seen on Sunday at an NFL game cheering on her boyfriend Travis at Kelsey at his uh, Kansas City Chiefs uh, advance to the uh, Super Bowl. Yes, indeed. Hopefully this can be the start of effectively tackling this uh, troubling social issue with everyone working together, but we'll see for now. Uh, That's all for our Global News Roundup today. Heejin, thank you for those stories. Thank you. Hi, I'm Chang Ray Lee, the author of Native Speaker. You are now listening to Korea 24 on KBS World Radio.
for the hero and the pragmatist Doing pushes in the back and waving his fist The kids from the school called it subterfuge Scars on his limbs is about to use December last year, history was made in Brookhaven, Georgia, after John Park was elected the U.S. state's first ever Asian American mayor. He won a runoff with 59% of the vote. After being first elected to the city council in 2014, Park had campaigned on his experience as a longtime Brookhaven council member, and now assumes his role as mayor at a pivotal time for the city, with various challenges and opportunities shaping its future. To tell us more about his story, we have Mayor Park of Brookhaven himself joining us via video call today. Mayor Park, hello and welcome to the show. Hello, thank you. Well, first, congratulations on your recent election win. Uh, I understand that you were sworn into office at the start of the year. Tell us, how does it feel to take on this role now? Uh, just an immense pride and actually relief as well. Uh, it was a very long and Challenging campaign, um, and it's uh, it's been something that's cul- been culminating for a long time. And I just feel a great sense of responsibility. It's a uh, it's a little different than being a council member. Uh, as a council member, you uh, you vote and and uh, vote on things, but as mayor, we initiate uh, the various uh, issues that come before Brookhaven. Right, so you're taking a much more uh, greater responsibility. So I'm sure you'll feel uh, the weight of that burden as well. You certainly come a long way since uh, your beginnings in the U.S. You understand you came to the U.S. as a young child from South Korea. Can you tell us a bit more about your roots? Yes. So I was born in Gwangju, uh, in the Cheonado Province, in the, in the southwest. Uh, when I was six years old, uh, my father uh, came over to the United States on a student visa uh, as a uh, in political science, uh, and then he decided to become a minister. So he became a Presbyterian minister. Uh, after immigrating to the United States, so we stayed and set down roots, and we've been here in the South uh, ever since. Uh, I understand that some political activism runs through your family. You said your father studied political science, but uh, one of the reasons he came to the U.S. Uh, was uh, because of some uh, political uh, issues. I understand at the time. Yes, there was the uh, during the Kwangju uprising. My father was the. Um, Was a translator for Terry Anderson, who, who was reporting for the AP, uh, and as, as as some people may remember, uh, the Korean government at the time wasn't particularly happy with Terry Anderson, and as a result, wasn't particularly happy with my father as well. Right. So we uh, we got out. <laughs> right. So understand that. Uh, inspired you uh, somewhat in your political career. So, as I said, we, you came to the U.S. You grew up in Alabama and Georgia, and went to college in Georgia as well. Before starting your career as a technology consultant, initially for IBM, understand, and then later for the CDC, yeah. the Center uh, Disease Centers for Disease Control in the U.S. So, then, what led you to get involved in local politics? So about 10 years ago, I really had no interest in politics. Um, we've had this trend in Georgia to start new cities as, you know, there were counties uh, that started to grow and have a lot of people and people wanted more direct representation. 
Uh, I actually was not particularly, um, I, I didn't want a city. I'm, I'm more of a, you know, kind of a live and let live kind of person. But when the new city was not what we wanted, you know, was not delivering on their promises, um, some neighbors and I got together and decided that something had to be done. And uh, I, I was basically chosen by my neighbors to run for office and, and, and I did so. Uh, and as a result, won and worked with uh, like-minded people to change the direction of the city of Brookhaven. Right. So can you tell us a little bit more about Brookhaven for our international listeners? Uh, how big is it? What's its demographic like and what sort of issues uh, will you have to face as mayor? So Brookhaven is a, a city directly adjacent to Atlanta, uh, to the north, with about 60,000 residents, uh, 12 square miles or 31 square kilometers. Um, demographics, there are actually very few Asian citizens of, of Brookhaven. They're only about 8%. Uh, the rest is uh, about uh, uh, almost 60% white, uh, about 20% Hispanic, uh, and, a, and a small black population as well, about 12%. Uh, the great thing about Brookhaven, it's, it's very diverse. Uh, in, in terms of economics as well, we have some of the richest uh, neighborhoods in the, in the state of Georgia and the United States. And we also have a very large immigrant community um, with some of the poorest precincts in, in the state of Georgia. So it's, uh, it's very challenging to have a, a, a different set of cha- uh, you know, uh, needs throughout the various parts of the city. Uh, and as a new city, we, we've had some growing pains, obviously. Um, you know, we have to get our uh, services established. We had to get, you know, our police established and and really uh, empower and involve as many citizens as possible, and not just, you know, the chosen few that started the city of Brookhaven. Right. So uh, amid this situation, you said you didn't particularly have political aspirations when you first became a council member uh, back in 2014. But then once you took on that role, what was it like? Uh, well, I. I, I became inspired by some of the issues that we had as a city. We, as a city, we had a lot of um, you know flooding issues throughout the city. We had some infrastructure issues. I felt like we were growing uh, too much and developing every piece of land, you know, the uh, the various green spaces. So we took a more balanced approach um, and established uh, more parks and established more connectivity and to just really uh, have a have a healthier environment for our citizens uh, as we grew and it grew in a smart way. And not just the day-to-day, perhaps, uh, running of the city uh, you helped with as a council member. I understand that you played an instrumental role in getting a statue established in Brookhaven honouring the victims of Japan's wartime sex slavery. That came after the statue was uh, belatedly rejected by the Centre for Civil and Human Rights in Atlanta due to apparent pressure from Japan. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yes. Yeah, so uh, some of my colleagues, I understood, were, were part of that effort. And there was a deep sense of injustice. Um, you know, we, there was a, a, a memorandum, a contract basically signed with, with the center. It was supposed to go, go there and they basically reneged on their promise. So I just felt like um, we, we needed a, uh, an, a, a location with some clout, not just, you know, the Korean Community Center, somewhere that would be prominently seen uh, and really tell the Japanese that, uh, you know, uh, government, not the Japanese people, the, the, particularly the government, that uh, we do not appreciate their efforts to basically try to get people to forget history and to try to change history. So uh, one thing that uh, about the United States and cities in particular is that 
city councils have pretty much absolute control. And I, I, I understood that and I saw that. And so immediately I went about lobbying the rest of the council. Um, there's a there's a old rule in po politics. It's called learn how to count. Right? And so we had to count the votes to get uh, three out of the five members of council and mayor to uh, establish a statue. And we, we picked a very, uh, I, I would say, ironic location. It was at the Cherry Blossom Festival uh, uh, grounds where, where we host that, where annually we actually invite the Japanese consul. I can say that he can he no longer uh, visits the Cherry Blossom Festival uh, once the statue was established. So we wanted to make a statement uh, and say that, uh, that uh, you know, uh, truth and uh, justice will win uh, in Brookhaven. Right. So it's quite a bold statement. It does seem then that your Korean roots do play an important role in your life and in your politics as well then. Yeah, so I grew up, uh, uh, you know, with my extended family. I grew up with my grandmother. She used to tell me uh, what life was like under the Japanese occupation, um, you know, and and how important it was to maintain our identity. Uh, you know, my mother used to always say, you know, you you even though you feel American, you speak perfectly English, uh, you're you're well integrated. Uh, you're always going to be a little different, and people when they look at you, they're going to see a Korean or an Asian. And not necessarily an American, and I took that to heart. And so, uh, you know, I it, even though I represent the people of Brookhaven and represent the people of America, I also have a unique perspective on, uh, you know, the immigrant community and, and particular Korean Americans. Right. So then, what does it mean for you to become the first Asian American mayor in uh, Georgia? Then, what do you think it means for perhaps representation and diversity and and all that? I think it's empowering, um, and I think it's 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 really what it does is it for people that may have thought, oh, we're outsiders, uh, we're not outsiders anymore, and I think it, it establishes that. Um, and what it means to me personally is uh, just the level of pride that my parents, uh, you know, had uh, in 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 my accomplishments of getting elected, and and really becoming, uh, you know, uh, being a pioneer in the, in the state of Georgia. And I'm sure the Korean residents in Georgia are, are celebrating your win with you. Georgia has quite uh, significant ties with Korea and Korean companies as well, I understand. Especially, uh, it's going to get a boost soon as well with Hyundai Motor Group setting up its first uh, U.S. plant dedicated to making EVs in Bryan County in the state. I understand that it's expected to create 8,100 new jobs how important is that relationship between Georgia and Korea, do you think? Uh, although I'm not sure how much it will affect Brookhaven itself, but still, as a Georgia resident, I'm sure you must have thoughts on it. Well, Brookhaven, not so much, uh, but we are definitely very interested if a Korean company would like to locate in Brookhaven, maybe their headquarters, or we would very much welcome them. Um, so I'm going to put that plug in. Uh, you know, Georgia is about opportunity. Um, I think Georgia has taken the lead uh, throughout the country on economic development. And really uh, reaching out and, 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 and attracting businesses and really bringing, uh, you know, prosperity for its, uh, for, for its community. And, and I think it, it bears, it has borne fruit with the amazing growth that we've had in Georgia through all sectors. You know, just because there's, there are these 8,100 8, jobs, that has a cascading effect on the rest of the economy. Um, and, and, it, and really throughout the entire state, we see that benefit. And I, I very much want to be a part of that. Well, you've just gotten started in your role as a mayor. Finally, what do you aim to achieve? What message do you have uh, 
for the residents of Brookhaven? So uh, we've started the city. We're not exactly a new city anymore. Uh, now is time to establish our city as a, uh, a in a permanent way uh, and establish the processes, establish really physically our, we need to build our city hall. We need to build, uh, you know, our, our various, you know, uh, infrastructure and make uh, what we have and what we've built more useful for more people. And that will be the goal of my administration to really stabilize Brookhaven and make permanent the gains that we've made the past 10 years. Well, congratulations on your mayorship once again, and we wish you the best of luck uh, leading Brookhaven. We'll be speaking to Mayor John Park of Brookhaven, Georgia. Thank you once again for your time today. Thank you very much. Did you enjoy this segment? You can discover more segments like this throughout the week on Korea24. On Monday, we bring you news from the world of sport around the peninsula. Are you a fan of K-pop? Then be sure to join us on Tuesday to get the latest in the entertainment and K-pop world. For all the bookworms out there, tune in on Wednesday for Korea Book Club, where our literary critic helps us unpack works by Korean authors or written on Korea. Join us on an adventure every Thursday as we take a look at Korea's hidden gems with Explore Korea. And on Friday, listen to what our film critics have to say about the latest movie releases from both home and abroad. We have all that you need, all in one place, on Korea24. continue on now to a brand new segment for the show. Every Tuesday, we'll round up the latest stories from the Korean entertainment industry now, everything from K-pop, K-dramas, and more. And we're calling this segment Hallyu Highlights. I think we can look forward to a different energy with this segment. And guiding us through this heady world, we have a good friend of the show joining us on the line. It's Bernie Cho, founder and president of DFSB Collective, a Seoul-based creative agency specializing in exporting Korean music worldwide. Bernie, welcome. And it's, uh, it's an honor to have you on this segment with us as well. Oh, no, thank you for having me. And my goodness, that uh, intro music was wonderful. I felt like I should be <laughs> roller skating or rollerblading or, or, you know, getting violent and do the old school, you know, what is it that uh, the roller... Um, skating ball brawling but whatever it was uh it was pretty funky thank you <laughs> well bernie uh it's great that you're here with us I understand that you will make time out of your busy schedule to try and be with us in the studio each week but today you're joining us on the line because you are in la at the heart of the entertainment action in the u.s where it's also the grammy awards week right that is correct. It is basically the Mardi Gras, the Super Bowl for the music industry. Uh, the Grammy Awards is coming up this weekend, but unfortunately, there are no K-pop or Korean nominees. Um, but nonetheless, I'm here for the festivities, the fun, the parties, the events, dot, 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 dot. Yes, I imagine you'll be busy attending events and functions and shows uh, and the like. Uh, well, it sounds like you'll be having a far more exciting time than I will here in Seoul, I'm sure. 
but uh, we'll see you when you get back. In the meantime, let's get into our segment now. Let's get into our first topic proper. And talking of awards earlier, we start with the 21st Korean Music Awards, which announced its full list of nominees last Friday. The K-pop girl group New Jeans, rapper Bean Zeno and the indie rock group Silica Gel picked up five nominations each. And BTS's Jungkook received four as well. The winners will be announced during the awards show, which will take place on February 29th. Bernie, first, can you tell us more about the uh, Korea Music Awards for any listeners who might not know? How is this award show perhaps different from other award shows? Well, you know, obviously Korea doesn't have the Grammy Awards, but if there was an award show that replicates um, the closest thing the industry has to the Grammy Awards, the KMAs, the Korean Music Awards, or in Korean, the Hanguk Jeju Umak Sang, is probably the closest thing we've got. And it's a wonderful event because it's probably, I can safely say, the only music award show that celebrates the dynamic range and the diversity of the Korean music industry. Um, in numerous categories, especially in numerous distinct genres, uh, you will likely see icons with indie acts, with idol acts competing for the honors, the awards, and the accolades. And so I think for many of us in the music industry, uh, this is probably um, the biggest and I would say the best music awards because it really celebrates the wide range of talent in Korea. Right. So it is uh, one of the top awards in the industry uh, each year, uh, one that celebrates uh, the diversity of uh, Korean music, especially. Uh, I mentioned some of the major artists who picked up nominations this year. But uh, for you, uh, who were the standout nominees? Uh, what did you make of the uh, of the list? Well, what I love about the Korean Music Awards is the nominees are selected by a panel of industry experts, whether they be music critics, journalists, producers and whatnot. And, you know, they have amazing taste in music. And as much as, you know, it's obvious we're going to look for the big names, many of them you just mentioned at the top of this segment. But I actually like to look for the underdogs or the underground acts that I didn't even know about who are going to be competing with these big name, big time acts. And so... For me, what was a nice surprise in the Musician of the Year category uh, was actually an indie band called Wave to Earth. Uh, I only found out about them, not from Seoul, but ironically from San Diego. I had heard rumblings and rumors that there was an indie Korean band selling out shows on a U.S. tour. And as a band I never heard of in Seoul, but they seem to be making waves overseas and outside of Korea. And Wave to Earth has obviously gotten the attention of uh, industry peers. And so that was nice to see. Um, another thing that I like to watch for and look for is um, some unexpected, uh, I guess, nominations. Um, again, for Musician of the Year, um, we're seeing Karina Nebula uh, being nominated. Um, and uh, this particular artist is actually from the jazz genre. So seeing a jazz musician, a jazz artist compete with you know, solo acts, boy band, girl band acts, and and whatnot is is fascinating and interesting. Um, and again, I just love the fact that many of the nominees are acts that uh, would never likely get this type of spotlight attention, but it's so very well deserved. And I think when we see the uh, winners announced in late February, um, there are going to be some pleasant surprises in some of the bigger categories, particularly album of the year and song of the year. 
Right, it'll be fascinating to see uh, which of these uh, perhaps lesser-known names pick up awards as well. But among the the bigger names, uh, Bernie, who should we look out for? Could this be another uh, stellar year for uh, New Jeans? Well, you know, New Jeans is a um, they're they're a repeat winner. I mean, they won big last year, and I wouldn't be surprised if they pick up one, if not two, awards. Um, one of the nice names that I saw pop up, and it's been a while, is Benzino. Um, he's got numerous nominations, and I think he's long overdue to take home some bigger trophies beyond, um, you know, his uh, safety in the in the rap music and hip hop scene. Um, but I think you know we could likely see Chungguk um, be awarded as well. He's been collecting awards all around all around the world, but I think in Korea he's due for a few as well. So it'll be interesting to see um, who picks up what. And I think um, the one thing about the Korean Music Awards that keeps it fresh and exciting is expect the unexpected. Okay, well, we'll see who picks up the big prizes on February 29th. I understand the venue has not been announced yet, uh, but I'm sure that will be announced soon as well. And uh, the show will not be televised, but was streamed on the Prism app, one of the sponsors for the event. Okay, let's uh, turn to our next topic now. Now, last year, after a bruising bidding war, the tech giant Kakao acquired SM Entertainment, and there was talk of synergies, partnerships, uh, going global together. Now, fast forward a year later, there are investigations, audits and rumours ranging from firing executives to even selling the company to a third party. That's a SM Entertainment. It's all turned rather sour, Bernie. So first, let's talk about this deal last year first. Why was it considered such a big deal at the time? Can you give us a bit more of the background? Oh, it wasn't just a big deal. It was hands down the biggest music deal last year in the global music industry. Uh, Kakao acquired roughly 40% of SM Entertainment for a whopping 1 billion US dollars. And that number was basically made this the biggest music deal of the year in the world. Uh, and this was deeply and uh, dived deeply by uh, Billboard magazine as to why it was the number one deal in the world last year. Now, what's shocking and surprising is, is that when the cacao acquisition of SM occurred, there was a lot of um, power struggles and, and family struggles because this was pitting uh, the founder with his nephew. And for many people and observers and maybe fans, um, it looked like a Korean version of the HBO show Succession. <laughs> now, what a lot of people didn't expect was a season two. Um, this came really out of nowhere, but the season two is, you know, many of the young leaders of SM Entertainment who had a hand in pushing out the founder, Chairman Lee Isuman, now find themselves in a position where they may themselves be pushed out by the new ownership uh, of Kakao. And so, you know, right now it's just an audit and, you know, audits happen all the time at big publicly traded companies. So that shouldn't come really, you know, as a surprise. But what's surprising is just the rampant speculation as to what might be the results of the audit. You know, um, you know, there have been rumors that uh, not one, not two, but many of the C-suite, C-level executives might see the door. And there have even been rumblings because of all the difficulties that Kakao has been facing in their acquisition of SM Entertainment for stock price manipulation that they may even consider unloading, dumping, or even selling. SM Entertainment to a third party and even gaming companies such as NC Soft 
were thrown into the mix. And of course, denials everywhere that this didn't happen. It's not being said, it's not being talked about, but yet there are others whispering, oh no, it definitely was being considered and mulled over. But the the drama continues. And, you know, this is a breaking story that is, uh, you know, seeing new developments, new twists, new turns, pretty much by the hour, by the day. So I don't think the story is going to go any, anywhere anytime soon. It's going to be keep unfolding. Right. I chuckled at your uh, comparison with Succession, but I guess it's a no laughing matter for those involved at the moment. What can we expect? Why is this happening uh, and how can it be resolved? It, it's it's really hard to guess because um, there's so many accusations that it's really hard at this point to discern what's fact and what's fiction and what's folly. So I won't judge or or pass judgment as to what is behind this sort of flurry of um, just finger pointing. Um, some of it is, you know, with the index finger and some of it feels like it's the middle finger. But regardless, um, it is something that is uh, is is not only capturing, you know, entertainment, but business headlines right now, not just in Korea, but right now around the world as well. Right. It all sounds rather complicated and messy, but uh, we'll see what happens uh, this year. We'll continue to follow the developments on this story. Let's turn to some more K-pop news now. A new girl group has officially landed, and it's not your run-over-the-mill group. JYP and the Universal Music Group US label Republic Records have teamed up to create a K-pop-style girl band, and they've done it by using the K-pop audition format via the K-pop discovery slash development system to create a new global girl group, Vicha. That's V-C-H-A, but I believe in Korean it's pronounced a Bicha, meaning to shine upon. Uh, the members' backgrounds range from white and Latino to black, Korean, Vietnamese and Hmong. Uh, these, their new single and their music video, Girls of the Year, debuted on January 26th. So, Bernie, tell us about this group. Well, you know, this is one of first of many uh, non-Korean K-pop groups that are going to be coming out from not only the top Korean music companies such as JYP, but also HYBE. And more importantly, um, both of these major music companies in Korea have teamed up with and joined forces with different divisions, different labels uh, within the Universal Music Group. But what is similar and what is resounding is the fact that these top, and in this case Universal, is the top music label in the world. They not only want to distribute K-pop, they want to learn from K-pop and they want to learn the discovery, as you mentioned, to the development, to the debut process of what is making K-pop, be it boy bands, girl bands, so successful worldwide. And one of the first sort of uh, projects and experiments to come out of the gates is, uh, you pronounced it better than me, but Vita. And again, with JYP, he himself as an artist um, tried to break the U.S. He himself as a producer tried to break acts in the U.S. And over the past few months and past few years, he has struck gold. And when I mean gold, I mean gold records. Um, right now, uh, his girl band, um, Itzy and Twice, are finding tremendous success in the U.S. But more importantly, Stray Kids is easily one of the biggest and best-selling acts in the U.S. And so for a lot of U.S. music industry executives, they want to know what is the secret sauce that JYP has you know, in his uh, bottle of magic and he's sharing that secret sauce and we're now seeing the first results of it now 
I took a listen and more importantly, I got a peek at and I got to watch the new music video Girls of the Year. And it's pretty straightforward. Um, I mean, it's it's a bit of a bold kind of statement to say, you know, right out of the gates in the first month of the year that they are going to be the girls of the year. But they, they're coming out strong. Within 24 hours, they clocked in over, you know, 4 million views on YouTube. And the music video itself almost feels like a compressed version of their audition process that they went through um, last year, uh, their A to K audition program. And so... It'll be really interesting to see um, the results, the feedback, the reviews. But so far, early indicators are is that JYP uh, may have another hit on his hands. Right. And from what you're hinting, do you think then that this is the start of a trend we're seeing, that we're going to see more uh, global K-pop groups, especially as we're seeing increasing K-pop and Western companies collaborating? Is there a move to develop more uh, non-Korean global K-pop style bands? Oh, very much so. I mean, right now, obviously, um, JYP is rolling out the spring with Vicha, but with Hybe, they've got a new girl band in the works called Cat Eye, Cat's Eye that is scheduled to be released in the summer. And they, too, also went through an audition process and they, too, scouted uh, girls and women from all over the world. And so, at least in the U.S., particularly with girl bands, JYP and HYBE are, you know, coming out strong with a lot of buzz and a lot of momentum. And then with SM Entertainment, who we just talked about earlier, they have an audition show in development in the U.K., uh, for many people, the home of boy bands. And they, too, are also going to be going through an audition, discovering development uh, program in the UK with one of the top um, non-scripted reality TV show producers. And so we'll see something out of the UK. And then also there are rumblings that uh, down in Latin America, which has always had a long history of boy bands as well, that uh, CJENM is teaming up with uh, HBO and um one of the top uh, TV production companies in the world to also mm. look for uh, a Latin boy band, Latina boy band, but trained in the K-pop style and methodology. Well, in the meantime, watch out for Vicha to make waves this year. Let's squeeze in one more topic. The latest number one movie worldwide on Netflix is Lift, starring Kevin Hart. The reason we're talking about this is that it has a surprise Hollywood debut for the former K-pop singer, now turned actress, NS Yunji, who I understand is a, a scene stealer as one of the main characters in the movie. And Bernie, this is a bit of a, a feel-good story as well, right? Yeah, you know, look, um, when we talk about a lot of K-pop stars, you know, we obviously celebrate them uh, when they're at their height and at their peak as a music artist. But, you know, usually for many acts, they may never see superstardom. And then those who do reach superstardom, it's really hard to maintain that plateau after seven years because that's often when their contracts expire. And so for a lot of K-pop stars and a lot of K-pop um, artists, uh, as they grow older and more mature, they often experiment and explore different areas of the entertainment industry. Some become very popular MCs on television shows and others become radio DJs, but many become models, but more importantly, actors and actresses. And, you know, that's a very, in and of itself, a difficult craft to master. Um, and, you know, we've seen a lot of top K-pop idols successfully transition uh, to becoming actors or actresses. 
But I did not see or expect uh, NS Yunji to come out as big as she did. And usually, look, when you debut, you start modest, you start humble, you start out as maybe sort of as a, a background character on a TV drama or, you know, sort of somebody who who laughs a lot on one of those entertainment variety shows. But my gosh, she came out big and she came out swinging. She came out hard. I mean, she came out in one of the biggest Hollywood, you know, um, with one of the biggest Hollywood stars right now, Kevin Hart. And to debut in a high profile Netflix movie that's, you know, gone number one worldwide for two to three weeks straight is an incredibly impressive debut. Mm. And have you seen have you seen the movie? It's um it's surprisingly really fun. It's entertaining and um, she holds her weight. You know, she's, she's uh, cast with a bunch of emerging stars and she fits right in. And I had no idea that, uh, you know, her, not only was her English fantastic, but my goodness, she could handle a lot of the action scenes and pulled off a lot of humor effortlessly, flawlessly. And so um, I think when we talk about Hallyu stars, actors and actresses, um, we got to put Ennis Yunji on the uh, on the list now. Sure, I've not seen it myself yet, uh, but I am very intrigued to see her performance, especially as well. Okay, well, we're going to have to end it there. I would say it's been quite the whirlwind start to Hallyu highlights. Bernie, thank you for holding us, holding our hand through it all, and we look uh, forward to the next one as well. Take care, and we'll see you next week. All right, we'll see you next week in the studio. And that wraps up our show. Join us again tomorrow for more news, views and reviews from Korea. Till then, we hope you have a great day. I've been your host, Kwon Jang-ho, and thank you, as always, for listening. Goodbye. Don't even think about checking that message or texting back. Did you know it only takes three seconds after a driver's attention has been diverted from the road for a crash to occur? Texting while driving is six times more likely to cause an accident than driving under the influence of alcohol. Sending or reading a text message causes drivers, on average, to take their eyes off the road for five seconds. When driving at 80 kilometers per hour, that means that drivers travel approximately the length of a football field with their eyes closed. At KBS World Radio, we value our listeners' safety and well-being. If you're listening to our programs while driving via a mobile device, please hit play before you set off on your journey. If you receive a message or a call while driving, either use a hands-free Bluetooth device to respond or wait until you've arrived at your destination. You're not just putting your life at risk. Distracted driving accounts for approximately 25% of all motor vehicle crash fatalities. Arrive alive.